But the question that we're going to deal with today is a little more serious than that. And that is a very simple question as we've been going through this particular uh, session in John. But the question is, do you know him? That's really the issue that we're going to address. Do you know him? Now, what does that mean? Basically, as we go through this particular series, we will see that John over and over again wants us to get one thing straight before anything else. And that is the question, do you know God? Do you really know him? And I want to make it as personal as possible, so I address the question in a form of, do you know him, underlining you, and I want you to make it personal. Do you know him? How many of you have ever struggled with whether or not you're a Christian? I mean, honestly, how many of you struggle with whether or not you're Christian? I think all of us, to a certain degree, struggle at times with, hey, is this, really, is this real? Am I really a Christian? Do I really know God? And it's not so much, do you know God, but we'll make it more personal. Ask yourself the question, do I know God? Or, if, it's, if, if it makes more sense to you, ask this question. Am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? Because that's the issue John addresses. He wants us to understand that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wants every person that's listened to the sound of my voice to walk out of here and, and know for sure whether they are a Christian or not. So two things are going to happen. You're going to leave here convinced of the fact that you are a Christian, or you're going to leave here examining your heart and say, you know what, I don't meet the standard that's set in the Bible of being a Christian. I may believe I'm a Christian. I may have been told I'm a Christian. I may think I'm a Christian. But the evidence that's laid out here doesn't indicate that I really am. And that's a major concern. And for those of you that aren't sure, we need to get that addressed more than anything else that you'll deal with today. I want to make sure you leave here today without any shadow of a doubt whether or not that you know God. Because as we're finding out, life is very short. And there's no guarantee that we have an extra breath to take, yet alone another week or month or year to contemplate on whether or not I really am sure of my relationship with God. The issue is if I leave here, if I die at this moment, as I sit here in this crowded room, and we won't know you're dead until everybody gets up to leave, is that... So you don't know. You might want to pinch the person next to you every now and then. But, but, the, but the fact of the matter is you want to make sure before you leave that you got this addressed this is serious stuff there's nothing more serious in life than dealing with this so the question is do you know him and that's the question that is raised in first john if you got your bibles turn with me first john chapter 2 starting with verse 3 first john chapter 2 starting with verse 3 and remember to ask yourself as you go through this am i am i a christian based on what the bible says do i really know god based on what god says is required of knowing him or do I just think I know him? And am I sure or not sure? First John chapter 2, look at verse 3. And we'll go from there. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness even until now. 
The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to take a look at three, three facts, three issues that have to be true of every person who calls himself a Christian. Now, if you look at verse 3, you'll see, he says, By this we know... And as we go through this, the point that he's going to make is that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether we're truly Christians or not. The problem that we have is we run into a lot of people who claim to be Christians. It's not hard to say, I am a Christian. I like the story a couple of years ago. I was golfing with a friend, Jeff Kemp. He lives in Seattle now, and and he was originally from this area when he was playing for the Rams. And he came back, and uh, we had um, set up a, a time to go golfing at Alta Vista Country Club. And because his brother-in-law lives here, he was going to golf with his brother, and I was going to golf with whoever else showed up so that we'd have a foursome. And so as we, were, so he sat, he sat in the car with his brother, and I sat in the car with somebody I'd never met and didn't know anything about him. And uh, if you golf with anybody, you discover a lot of things about him within a short period of time. And so we were driving around, and we're golfing, and this guy, you know, every other word is F this, and that, and this, that, and Jesus Christ this, and that, and that, and that, you know, and that's, that was uh, the golf experience. And I thanked Jeff afterwards for allowing me the privilege <laughs> of riding with this guy. But it was going on and on and on. And so about the eighth hole, it got kind of interesting because he started picking up on the fact that Jeff and I were good friends. And so looking at me, he knew I didn't play pro ball. And he was trying to figure out what the connection was. He said, well, uh, where, how do you know Jeff? And I just, you know, and I get the same grin I had now. I just kind of smile. I said, oh, um, we first met when he asked, he and, and a couple other players on the team, asked me if I'd teach Bible study of the Rams. <laughs> oh, really? I said, oh, yeah, and then um, I'm still involved in the Word of Chapel service and stuff like that. But, but, you know, I'm in the construction business, but, that, you know, I do that. And he goes, oh, really? He goes, you know, I teach a Bible study. Hi, I'm not, I, I'm not pulling your leg. This is a true story. He said, I teach a Bible study. He said, is that right? Where at? And I teach it at Blank Blank Church up in Bray and know exactly where it is. And it's not the big one. It's a little one at the bottom of the hill. But, but I, I know exactly where it is. He said, yeah, I teach Bible study. Oh, yeah. We have a Bible study in our house every week, and I lead it. I said, is that right? That's really fascinating to me. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian. I don't know. Gee, I can't remember. I've been a Christian. Gee. <laughs> As long as I can remember. Oh, good. So, uh, do you read the Bible much? Well, you know, you think a guy taught it would read it. Just a question. He goes, yeah. Oh, good. You ever read Ephesians 4 sometime? (laughs) Haven't got that far yet, huh? (laughs) What are you starting at the beginning and working your way to the back? I said, man, I'll tell you what. For a guy who teaches the Bible, said, you have the most filthy language and mouth that I've ever heard. And I'm in the construction business. Man, you know what? It was like a long 12 more holes or whatever it was. <laughs> but the point is, hey, oh, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Interesting. So it doesn't stop there. I got another guy who's building uh, custom houses. Call him one time. We're doing some work for him. I see him drive up to the job site, and he has a, a Rams bumper sticker on. And this is like the greatest thing, because I get an, an, an entree into any conversation I want. Oh, Rams fan. Oh, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. You better believe it, man. I love the Rams, man. I've been a Rams fan for 20 years, man. I've seen things. Holy smokes. I say, really? And he goes, I say, oh, yeah, I'm a Rams fan, too. 
fact, I got a lot of good friends in the Rams. Really? Who do you know? Bum, 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 bum. He goes, yeah, I used to be his baseball coach. Yeah, how do you know him? Oh, because I do the Bible studies for him. <laughs> he goes, really? He goes, you know, I accepted Christ about 10 years ago. I said, really? That's fascinating to me. He goes, you know what he said? He goes, but I'm just a little backslidden right now. I, you know what? Is this unique to me? Or do you deal with people like this all the time? I'm just a little backslidden. What does that mean? It means that he knows enough about the Bible to know there's such a thing that isn't really in the Bible, but there's a concept of backsliding. So he knows enough about the jargon that he can actually say that. He knows enough about the jargon to say, I accepted Christ. He knows enough about all this stuff to be able to have a conversation with you. But I get real concerned when I run into people who don't give you any kind of evidence or display the fact that they really are Christians. And so what John is addressing is this phenomenon known as being able to profess to be a Christian, to claim to be a Christian, but have no evidence in your life that indicates that it's true. And many of us are in the same category. We don't know until we check the body and check some ID and somebody comes forward later that tells us, oh yeah, he went to our church. Well, good thing you came forward because we never would have been able to figure it out. What is the evidence that exists that can determine once and for all whether or not you are a Christian? The easiest thing in the world to do is to say, I'm a Christian. If you've got your Bibles, look at a couple examples here in 1 John. And in the section that we're reading in 1 John chapter 2, it says in verse 3, it says, by this you can know. You can know whether you're a Christian. In verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we're in him. And it doesn't stop there. He goes on. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 19. It says, We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. We can know. In verse 24, And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And we can know. Chapter 4, verse 12. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him. You can know and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're Christians, but the problem is, what is the litmus test to prove it's true? The way we live our lives. That's not that difficult. The way you live your life will determine whether or not you truly have come to know Christ You can say that you did. You can pray a prayer. You can sign a card. You can come forward at an altar call. You can go forward in a stadium. You can come forward this morning. All those things are possible. They're not that hard to do. And a lot of them are emotional and a lot of them are things that we need to understand and recognize by the truth of the Word of God. But the reality of it is that you can know that you're a Christian by the way that you live your life. How many of you sometimes don't feel like Christians? I don't sometimes. I struggle with that. How many of you sometimes don't feel like you're married? Chicken. You're a chicken. Bunch of wimps. You're a bunch of wimps. Yeah. You know, okay, how many of you know sometimes you're married more than other times? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll answer that one. Yeah. How many of you have children? All right. How many of you feel like you're a parent? How many of you feel like you're a grandparent? Not me. Too young to be a grandparent. You ever wrestle with that? I can't be a grandparent. My daughter, our daughter, went to a prom last night. 
For those listening on tape, it's going to be hard to believe, but I'm too young and good-looking to have a daughter who's going to a junior prom. <laughs> Is that true? I don't feel like I'm that old. And I know I don't look like it. <laughs> couple more proms than I will. <laughs> but I don't feel like it. You ever get that way? I mean, older we get, you go, man, I don't feel like I'm this old. Well, what objective evidence do we have that we are? People around you say, you are. <laughs> that, that's part of it. We get our wallet out, we look at it. I checked my ID last night. My daughter's walking out the door. I pulled out my wallet. I looked at my picture. I checked my birthday. I checked everything. I was like, I guess that's me. You know what I mean? We don't feel like it all the time. I don't feel like a Christian every day. I don't feel like a parent every day. And I don't feel like whatever. Our feelings are like an emotional roller coaster ride. And we can't base our feelings. Just because I don't feel like a Christian doesn't mean that I'm not. And just because you feel like you are a Christian doesn't mean you are. So let's take a look at the objective evidence and we'll determine based on that standard whether we meet the test or not. That is the safest way to determine whether or not you and I really have come to know God. And we're going to look at three biblical facts from this particular text and we'll go through them one at a time because I don't want you to miss them. But, but we, need to, we need to understand what the Bible says. Three facts from this particular passage, verses 3 through 11. Here's the first one. There is some very real evidence that exists to determine whether or not I truly have come to know God. There is very real evidence to exist, objective evidence, outside the standard of subjectivity, which has to do with emotions and feelings. You may not feel like you're a Christian. You may not feel like it at all. You may feel like you are, but it doesn't matter. Let's lay our feelings and emotions aside for a moment and take a look at what the Bible has to say. There is real evidence that exists that can determine whether you have come to know Christ. Do you know what the first evidence is? That we keep His commandments. Look what it says. 1 John 2, 3-5. Says we have come to know, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Let's go through it and make it a little more understandable. Let me let me go through and read it this way. We know that we have come to know Christ if we obey his commands. The man who says I know Christ but does not do what Christ commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys God's word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in Christ. Do you follow that? This is how we know that we are in Christ if we obey his commandments. Literally, to keep or to obey means to watch or observe for the purpose of living it out. It says, if we obey, and the New American Standard says, if we keep his commandments, if we observe his commandments, not for the purpose of just watching somebody else live a Christian life or watch how Jesus lived his life, but if we observe his life and his commandments for the purpose of being able to emulate them in our own life, then we can be sure beyond a shadow of doubt that we've come to know Christ. The litmus test for our faith is, are you living a life according to the Bible, that pleases God? Are you obeying or keeping His commandments? 
And so as we go through it, you'll see in Matthew 19, 17, he says, why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good, and that is if you want to enter life or eternal life, if you want to go to heaven, then obey the commandments. But see, we got a problem with that because now we get into that situation where it's like, okay, if I do this list of things that's laid out for me, is that what's going to get me into heaven? Well, the commandments that he's talking about aren't Old Testament commandments. They're the commandments that Jesus gave. Not only in conjunction with the Old Testament commandments, but they're also in conjunction with the new commandments that he gives. And the first commandment, or, or the greatest thing, is he says you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, all your mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And on this, all of the law, every commandment in Scripture is based. So he's saying the first command of Jesus is that we love God with all of our heart, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if we have done that, then as a result, we'll obey his commandments. It's not a list of things to do that's going to get you into heaven because we're going to fail that list. We're not perfect and we can't do it. But if you ask Christ into your life and then begin to live a life demonstrating that you have asked him into your life, then you're going to be obedient in what he tells you to do. If he says to do it, you'll do it. If he says don't do it, you won't do it. And it's going to be evidence of the fact that you've come to know him. He goes on in John 14 to explain the same concept. He says, if you love me, you obey what I command. That's as simple as that. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. The bottom line of Scripture, folks, and you can't get away from this, and that is very simply this. If you say you know Christ, then you will live a life in accordance to what he commands. It's as simple as that. You and I can't get away from that. And I am real concerned about some of the stuff that I hear from people that I talk to. I'm real concerned about what I see the Bible clearly teach that people are taking out of context. And you know what? And we're talking there's a major issue that has to be dealt with here, and that is your eternity. If you want to think you've got a flippant belief in God and can live like hell and do anything you want to do, then you're not taking time to understand what the Bible teaches. Does it get into legalism? It can, and that's some of the problem with it. But we've got to understand that it's not our works that save us or make us right with God. It's our faith and trust in Christ. But how can you have faith and trust in Christ without it being demonstrated in the way that you live your life? That's the incongruity that doesn't make any sense. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 for a second. Mark chapter 4. There's a story that I'm thinking of that I can't get out of my mind, and it happened a few years ago, but it happened to do with a guy named Bob Dylan. Some of you know who Bob Dylan, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, Dylan, kind of a guy. And um, there, was, there was a time in his life, in Mark chapter 4, that um, Bob Dylan accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That's what he said. He became born again. He was a born-again Christian. And um, now I know some of you say, oh, but you don't know his heart. You know, that's, that's, that's our kind of our, our kind of cop-out any time that we're dealing with somebody who says they're a Christian and lives like hell. That's, uh, well, you don't really know his heart. Well, hey, you know what? Don't need to know his heart, but I can see the evidence of the way he lives his life. 
And I, it's, not my, it's not my litmus test. It's not my standard that I'm worried about. It's what God has to say. God clearly says is if you love him, you're going to obey his commandments, and it's going to be evidenced in the way you live your life. So when you're dealing with a person who says, oh, I accepted Jesus Christ and they're living like hell, there's a real problem there that needs to be dealt with one way or the other. Either they've got to confess that sin and get right with God and start living a life that pleases God according to what he says, or they've never come to know him. They can they scream till they're blue in their face about how many times they accepted Christ. It doesn't matter. Because that's not what the Bible says. Mark chapter 4 kind of outlines that for us and gives us a clear understanding of what this problem is. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. Actually, verse 13. Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? He says, The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they themselves have no firm root, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they just fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, and the worries and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things come into their life and choke the word, and it too becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. They hear the word, accept it, and they bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Let me go through and finish this conversation with Bob Dylan. About five or six months later, Bob Dylan was asked by a popular rock magazine, he said something like, how are you doing in your newfound Christian faith? Bob Dylan's response was very simple, and it was to the point, and he said this, oh yeah, I used to be into that, but now I think that the Eastern religions and philosophies have a lot to offer. I tried that one time, and it was good for a while, but it didn't last. A few years ago, Mickey Cohen, who was a mobster in Los, in Los Angeles, if you want to read about it, you can pick up Chuck Colson's book called Loving God. It's a great book on this particular point that we're trying to make this morning, and that is that our lives, if we love them, are going to demonstrate that we truly do. But in a particular chapter they had about L.A. mobster, it was a mobster, Mickey Cohen. When Billy Graham first started preaching the gospel and he had his tent revivals in Los Angeles, he came and he was preaching, and Mickey Cohen was in, just, you know, he was taken in by what he saw happening here. People, hundreds and thousands of people coming to listen, listen to Billy Graham preach the gospel. And he was excited about all the excitement that was going on. It was kind of like the happening thing. It was like being at the, you know, the Orange County Fair or being at the Super Bowl or being somewhere where there's big doings going on. You want to be part of it. And so he came there and he wanted to meet with Billy Graham personally. So Billy Graham met with him, and Billy Graham shared the gospel with him. And, quote, unquote, Mickey Cohen prayed to receive Jesus Christ, asked Jesus into his life. A few months went on, and, and uh, his, his life seemed to be taking on a different characteristic. He seemed to be walking in a different direction, and uh, he began to be a little more verbal about this newfound Christian faith of his. And uh, he was learning about the Bible, learning about how he should live, and he was trying to do that. And uh, the people that he worked with, his co-workers, weren't real excited about this new change in direction that he was going, and gee, I can't understand why. Since he was into you know, prostitution and racketeering and, and, and embezzlement and, and money laundering, you'd think that, uh, gee, I guess they would have a problem with this direction he was going. So they went and confronted Mickey and said, hey, yo, Mick, hey, <laughs> you know, where, hey, where, where are you heading here, Mick? And uh, so they had a little conversation, and Mick thought it over and thought, gee, what, you know what? Uh, eh, you're right, you know, this isn't really a good thing to do. And so he got right back into prostitution. He got back into embezzlement. He got back into laundry, money and, uh, laundering money, and it went on for a number of years. 
Well, 20 years later, in continuing this lifestyle of crime, he was asked on his deathbed by a reporter that happened to be there and remembered all the stories about Mickey Cohen's newfound conversion to Christianity. And so Mickey Cohen said, hey, as he was asked, well, what about this, you know, this memory, this time you accepted Christ in your life? Mickey Cohen said, oh, yeah. He goes, you know what? But then the more I thought about it, he goes, what's wrong with, with a Christian gangster? Good question. What's wrong with a Christian gangster? I mean, can't you know Christ and still be a gangster? Let me ask you a question. You got your Bibles? Turn to Galatians chapter 5 for a second. You say, oh, gangster. Well, isn't that an obvious one, huh? None of us are into that. What about a Christian gangster? Hmm. Look at um, Galatians 5. Let's start with verse 16. Let's make this really fun. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that please you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, it says the deeds of the flesh are evident. You know, the lifestyle of a non-Christian is evident. That's what he's saying. There's immorality, impure, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you that those who have practiced and practiced such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a little more personal question. Well, what's wrong with the Christian gangster? He, 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 snicker, snicker, snicker. What a stupid thing to say. It's no different than what's wrong with a Christian homosexual. What's wrong with a Christian adulterer? What's wrong with a Christian liar? What's wrong with a Christian thief? What's wrong with a Christian drunk? What's wrong with a Christian whatever? You know, isn't it funny how we can tag the term Christian onto anything that we want to accommodate in our life, and we can laugh about what's wrong with a Christian gangster, but we don't have a problem laughing about, well, what's wrong with a Christian adulterer? Now, let me just get something straight. Can a Christian commit the sin of adultery? Yes. Can a Christian commit the sin of homosexuality? Yes. Can the Christian commit the sin of lying? Yes. Okay, please, let's get that straight. Can a Christian commit the sin of murder? Yes. Can a Christian commit any sin? You better believe it at any time. We better take heed where we stand lest we too fall. We're capable of doing the same thing that anybody else is. But then what's the issue here? Well, the issue, he goes on, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. He says, look, there is a different lifestyle for Christians than for non-Christians. Is it possible under an exceptional circumstance, for someone who's a Christian to fall into any kind of sin? The overwhelming answer is, of course it is. We all know that. Now the problem becomes, is it possible for a person who claims to be a Christian to continue to live in that sin and practice that sin and say they're a Christian, say it, yes, but be a Christian, not according to the Bible. Do you not know that such who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that people who live that way as a natural course of their lives shall never inherit the kingdom of God? Isn't that obvious is the question. Isn't it obvious to you when you see a person who claims to be a Christian but lives in total violation of the commandments of God, isn't it obvious to you to say that person is heading the wrong direction? If they know Christ, they better repent. If they know Christ, they better ask for forgiveness. That's 1 John 1.9. We dealt with that last week. They better confess their sin and they better deal with it now here's some good news 
if you're convicted about sin in your life, and all of us are whenever we commit it, if we're a Christian, we struggle with it, right? There's good news. Okay? Here's even better news, is that there's a remedy for it, the same remedy when we accept Jesus, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That same blood cleanses us again and restores our fellowship with God when we ask for forgiveness. The good news is that the fact that you're wrestling with it, whether or not you're a Christian, is a good indication to me of every person I've ever met that you are a Christian because non-Christians don't struggle with the fact they're Christians. Don't you feel better now? Do you think about it? You meet non-Christians, they struggle with, they don't struggle with whether they're Christians or not. If a non-Christian's not a Christian, thinks they're a Christian, they don't even wrestle with the issues that you're wrestling with. So it's good to be confused. <laughs> that should make you all feel a lot better. Does that make any sense? I hope it does. I mean, it's clear that the issue is very simple. One man writes this. He says, To claim the knowledge of God, yet disobey Him, is an unresolvable contradiction. The evidence and the assurance that one knows God is simple obedience to the Word of God. You know what amazes me? Before I came to the point where I asked Jesus Christ into my life, before I came to that point, I would look at people who claimed to be Christians and then lived a life that was contrary to what I thought a Christian was. Now, whether I understood what a Christian was or not is another issue, but there are certain do's and don'ts that you just understand by consciousness, if nothing else, that those don't seem to be right. And so when I saw people who claimed to be Christians who were living that way and there was a contradiction in their life, then either one of two things was true. One is they weren't really a Christian that they were claiming to be, or two, I became a Christian because I was doing the same thing that they were doing. Those are the only two conclusions you can come up with. Isn't that logical? So you have people who are looking at your life saying, gee, I'm a Christian, and you're living like a, in a certain manner that doesn't correlate to what the Scripture teaches. Guess what? You're living a lie. Oh, and by the way, did you notice that? That's exactly what Scripture said. Let me go back to this because we all like to be called liars. It's so good for the soul. But that's what it says. Look, if you say you know him, but you don't do what, is, what he commands you, you're a liar. Don't you feel better now? That's what it says. That's the only conclusion you can come to. That's as clear as can be. If you say you know Christ and you're living a life that contradicts the evidence of being a Christian, then you're lying and you're deceiving yourself and you're lying to others just as well. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to people around you. Are you living a life that corresponds to what a Christian's life is? Let me just tell you something. How do you really know it's real? How do you know it's true? Look at 2 Timothy for a minute, chapter 4. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Here's another thing we need to get cleared up because it's real, it gets real confusing as we go through here. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Thirteen years ago, this past February... Thirteen years ago, I was confronted with the gospel. I was confronted with the gospel 14 years ago. I was told that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, that Jesus died for my sins. There's no way I'd get to heaven because I'm not perfect. I understood and knew that. The Bible said that all sin falls short of the glory of God. I knew I was a sinner by whatever definition. I knew it wasn't perfect. Thirteen years ago, I was confronted with this truth. And the confrontation was a very simple one. There's no way that I'll get to heaven unless I ask Jesus Christ into my life. There's no way I'd ever get there unless I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for my sins, past, present, and future. I, I was confronted with that, and it was very simple in an understanding. The gospel, the good news of Christ's death for our sins is simple, that a child could understand it. 
I asked Jesus Christ into my life 13 years ago this past February. At the time, I was told by other people who were skeptical that it would go away. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like chicken pox or something, you know, <laughs> or, or a rash. You know, just spray this powder on you and it'll go away. I was told that it would go away. Now, I didn't know what it was that people thought would go away, but I can tell you this, I know who it was that I asked into my life. And I also know this, 13 years later, he has not gone away. He still lives within me according to the authority of the word of God that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, took up residence in this frame. Don't ask me why he'd want to, but he did, and that's what it says. It hasn't gone away because it is he. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He says that the work he began in me the day I accepted Christ, he'll continue until the day that I see him again. He's not done working on me. So what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is this. We had better be making progress in the areas of our life where once we fell short of the standard that God has given. If we were habitual liars, we need to be making progress to get on with telling the truth. If we are habitual thieves, we need to get progress and moving to what the Word of God says as far as working for our labor, doing that which is right before God, performing work with our hands, and stop stealing from people. If you hate somebody... And you, and you have animosity or resentment toward them, we need to be moving on to what the Bible says as far as being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving people as Jesus, as, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We need to be making progress in those areas. So sin for a Christian should be the exception and not our lifestyle. Does that help you understand a little better? Sin for a Christian has got to be the exception to the rule and not our constant lifestyle. He has not gone away. He is still at work in my life. Some of you look at me and think, I'm a little rough yet, and I need to sand it out a little bit more. And you know what? And I agree with you. And there are other baseball managers in our little league, uh, league that agree with you. There are a lot of people that agree with you. And you know what's amazing? And I agree with you. Because when I sin and fall short of the standard that God has laid out, I am convicted about it. I feel bad about it. Not just because I got caught doing something stupid, but I genuinely feel bad because I grieve God because I know what's right and I've deliberately disobeyed in an area. Maybe it wasn't deliberate. Maybe it was an outburst of anger. Maybe it was lack of self-control. Whatever it was, the Bible says the evidence or fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, joy, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. When I'm on the freeway and I want to flip somebody off, hey, I get to that point, don't you? Yeah, no, none of you do. You people amaze me. It's amazing. I see you're all dealing with the lying issue, though. And you want to catch somebody off, you get some of those people that are hammering on you right on their bumper and you know they went off at the next off-ramp and you just want to slow down and tick them off. You get days like that. But self-control and obedience to God says, you know what, it's not that big a deal, you bonehead, move over. All right, I'll move over. I have conversations with God all the time in my car. It's a scary thing. Well, though, we already dealt with the fact that most of us pick our nose, so what's so big a deal about, <laughs> about talking to God about freeway incidents? But, but that's the kind of stuff that's going on. And, 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 and you know what, you want to resolve something? And I don't want to confuse you with two other things this morning. We're just going to deal with one thing. One thing. And I think this one thing can change your life. If you continue to walk 
in obedience with God as He confronts you on the rough areas that still exist in your life. If you have a tenderness and a sensitivity to give up those areas and to heed the Word of God and to be obedient to the Word of God and allow Him to live His life through you, let me just tell you something, folks. You can know that you're a child of God. You can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. You don't have to go to bed at night wondering if you're a Christian when you're walking in obedience to the Word of God. God's dealing with you and you're convicted about it. Confess it and move on. And you can be assured of your relationship with God. And you know what? And and I'm trying to be very cautious because I want to just share with you exactly what the Bible says. Because the last thing I want you to do is to leave here listening to something that I say that doesn't relate to the Word of God so that you feel comfortable in a relationship that doesn't exist with God. It's too serious a problem to make you understand anything differently. Look at the text. Look what the Bible teaches. Are you walking in obedience with God? And you know the test that will tell all of whether you and I are really children of God? Is it a seniority program? I mean, like after three years, am I vested in this deal? Five years or ten years? Do I become a Christian after ten years of successful service? Not according to the Bible. When you ask Jesus Christ in your life, at that moment, you become a child of God. When you receive Christ, at that moment, salvation is an instantaneous act of God in the life of an unregenerate human being. It's instantly. But you know what? We become more Christ-like through a lifetime of walking in obedience. And what confuses me on whether I'm a Christian or not are the times where I'm disobedient to the Word of God. Then I start saying, am I really a Christian? Do I really know Christ? And the issue is resolved when I confess that sin and believe what God says. I don't feel like a Christian then. David didn't feel like he was a believer of God when he murdered and committed adultery. He wasn't secure in his relationship with God. But he knew one thing. He never lost his salvation. He lost his joy. And he said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Some of us have lost the joy of our relationship with God because there's unconfessed sin in our life. We need to confess it. Others of us think that we're okay and we've never come to know Christ. And it's evident by the way that we live our life. God, help us not to live, leave here today without getting that issue resolved. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll close on this. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, who was a young man, who was a young man who had accepted Christ, who was a pastor of a church, who struggled with the same things we struggle with on whether or not, gee, am I really a Christian? Am I not a Christian? How can I really know that I am? How can I be sure if I died today that I'm going to heaven? How can I be sure that this isn't just some fad that I got hung up with? How can I be sure that this isn't just some emotional roller coaster ride that I'm on? How can I be really sure that I'm a Christian? We all struggle with it. This is what Paul said. Verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die, and he knew the time was coming. That finally, it was it. That was it. His appointed time, according to Hebrews four, was uh, Hebrews nine, was now upon him. God was calling him home, and he thought about death, and he probably wrestled with the fact that, hey, you know what? I hope everything I believe is right, because I know I'm going to die. And he said, you know what? Though in verse seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Walking with Christ for six months isn't fighting the good fight and then turning to something else. Walking with Christ for two years isn't keeping the course. Walking with Christ for ten years 
and head in another direction isn't last until the end. Are we saved because we make it to the end? No. When we ask Christ in our life, it's taken care of. But you know what's going to be the, the real test for every one of us? If 13 years from now, I'm still walking with Christ. If 26 years from now, I'm still walking with Christ. If 50 years, God willing, He lets me live that long to torture people like you, I'll, I'll, I'll still be walking with Christ. See, you know what? That's really the test. This isn't just a four-year or six-year deal. This is a lifetime of walking in obedience with Him. And you know what? We can have the same assurance that Paul did on his deathbed. He said, you know what? I don't have a shadow of a doubt. Absent from the body, presence with the Lord, I'm going home. And the reason I know it is I lived a life that was obedient to the commandments of God. We can be sure of that, more sure than the person that we're sitting next to. Are you walking in obedience? You'll never have to doubt whether you're a child of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we just give you praise and thanks for today. We just thank you for your word that's so true and alive. And God, I just pray that those who have never asked you, never put their faith and trust in Christ, to ask Jesus into their life would do so right now and get that issue resolved. God, the evidence is overwhelming as we look at the objective standards of whether or not we truly do know you. Lord, if we're living a life that's a lie, if we're living a life that's in contrast to what your word teaches as far as a Christian's lifestyle should be, help us to see it, confront us on it. If we're convicted about it, then May we confess it. We know you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But for those who aren't even convicted about obvious sin that the Bible calls sin, for those who are living a lifestyle that is contrary to the lifestyle of a Christian, I would just pray that you convict them of sin in their life, and that's the sin of unbelief in what you have to say about Jesus and about your plan for mankind. That you would show them that they fall short and that you would, that you would put fear in their hearts that if they died today, that they know that they'd spend an eternity separated from you in a place you call hell. God, help them to see that clearly so they can get this issue resolved. And for those who have accepted Christ but are living a hypocritical and, and a lifestyle that's contrasting to the word of God, may you convict us of that sin in our life. And if there's any wicked way that's hidden in us, may you show us so that we can confess it and so that we can walk in obedience. And Lord, we know that as we do, there's a joy, there's an assurance, there's a confidence that if we die today, that we'll be with you for all of eternity. Not because we're walking a life that's in obedience, but more because we understand what your word teaches, that for those who have uh, received Jesus, that we become a child of God. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from you, lest any one of us should ever brag or boast. And we just thank you for that. May you give us a peace and assurance for those who know you. And may you continue to convict those who don't, that they would be drawn to your son and get the issue resolved. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.